in two places. You know them well, but we're going we're gonna to touch on them at least as a launching point this morning. Uh, first, uh, turn with me uh, to Luke chapter 2. We're actually going to read just a couple of verses in Luke chapter 1, but if you turn to Luke chapter 2, you'll be able to read the last few verses in Luke 1 as well. And so we're going to look at a couple of verses in Luke chapter 2 uh, that you've heard many times. Uh, you know, I was meeting with a group of pastors um, in Northern Virginia uh, a few weeks ago. And we were talking about, and one of them asked, so what are you guys sharing this year for Christmas? And everyone was like, well, the same passages we always share from this time of year at Christmas. There's not new verses, but yet God gives us something new from the word that never, ever, ever has any depth that we can, it, it, the depth just continues to go deeper and deeper and deeper. So we're not going to look at uh, a new text, but I hope the Lord again shows us something new or something fresh here this morning. So we're going to start with a, a, a little bit of Luke, the last few verses of Luke 1 and then in Luke 2, and then I want us to turn over uh, to Matthew, and we'll look at that as well. But first, uh, Luke chapter 1, last few verses. This is actually uh, in verses 67 through uh, 79 here is actually Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. Uh, he actually is prophesying about the ministry of his son, who would be the forerunner to Jesus. Uh, but we do see a reference uh, to Jesus here as well. And we want to start there, and then we'll uh, work our way into chapter 2. Uh, last few verses, starting in uh, verse uh, 77. And this is uh, referring to Jesus. Verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his, capital his, people, by the remission of their sins. Of course, John the Baptist couldn't do that. That would be the Lord Jesus. Through the tender mercy of our God, which the day spring on high has visited us. Again, this is Jesus. He's the day spring from on high. To give what? To give light to those who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Boy, don't we need those things. We need the light today. We need the peace. Now, chapter 2. We'll skip verse 80. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This uh, census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went out uh, from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was, while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host of God, praising, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. 
Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the things which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherd. Let's stop right there. Now turn over to Matthew uh, chapter, uh, chapter 1 and 2. Again, last couple of verses in, uh, in Matthew, first few verses, uh, last couple of verses in chapter 1 it is, and then a couple in verse uh, chapter 2 as well. So uh, chapter 1, pick it up with verse uh, 22. Actually, let's look at verse 21 as well. Verse 21, and she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, or Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Keep that in mind. All this was done that it would be fulfilled as the prophet had said. Verse 23, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him, he and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her, uh, forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus, or Yeshua. Chapter 2, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. When he gathered all the uh, chief priests and scribes and peoples together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Another reference of what was already written, what was foretold. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring him back to me, that I may come and worship him too. You think you meant it? And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which he, uh, they had seen in the east went before him, till, uh, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed from their own country and went another way. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for the word that you've given, the word that was given before your son appeared on earth, and the word that was filled, fulfilled when he came. And we pray now, Jesus, that your spirit, the same spirit that uh, overshadowed Mary, that that same spirit, Lord, would now overshadow this place and open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to that which you want us to hear. In your name we pray. Amen. So we have two completely different scenes. Uh, and some people that don't know the Bible that well, maybe they thought that that's all one passage. There's a lot of people that have never read a Bible. Maybe you're here today and you, you've barely ever read a Bible. You're visiting. Uh, people will hear the Christmas story, uh, but not know that those are two, two separate scenes, the shepherd scene, wise men scene. Uh, you often see it as a group photo today, right? Uh, you see the wise men, the shepherds, but they weren't in the same place. These were two different time periods. Uh, likely spread out as much as two full years apart. The shepherds that night 
that was the very night that Jesus was born. The wise men coming from the east, that was many months later, perhaps, as I mentioned, up to 24 months after the actual birth of Christ. Jesus was by then a young child. But what both of those scenes have in common is we have a bright light dawning on the scene. In both of those stories that Matthew tells us and Luke, where they're recording not just stories, they're recording history for us, and both there's a bright light that appears on the scene. In one, it's a star that the wise men see. and the other one, it's an angel that shines bright, lights up the heavens, and then before long, a whole heavenly host is with that angel shining and lighting up the sky. And in both cases, we see this bright light that points to something. Well, certainly it points to the birth of Christ, but it's also a picture of Christ itself, light bursting forth into darkness. What happened when the earth was created? What did God say? Let there be light. And so the sin and death had put the light out. Jesus was coming back to restore that light to the world. And I ask you, what does Christmas mean to you? Well, I know what it means to many people. I know for many people it means Santa and 25 days of ABC Family Christmas, and it means, uh, you know, we've got people that work here. We, we have people right in this room that work for Walmart distribution, Amazon distribution. What does that mean? It means a lot of extra hours and stressed-out bosses. It means a lot of people, you know, flocking to stores, spending money they actually don't have means, uh, you know, Christmas parties and all that stuff. And some of the stuff, like, is fine. We all enjoy some of those things. Gather with the family. Like I said, I, I, I still like the movie. I like Rudolph. Those kind of things are enjoyable. But they're not the actual meaning of Christmas. They're things that come with the Christmas season, uh, but they're not the meaning of what took place in Luke's gospel and in Matthew's gospel. It was this light that came into the world that is the true meaning of Christmas. John chapter 1, verse 9, speaking of that light that burst forth uh, with the birth of Christ and the coming of Christ, uh, John wrote, that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Jesus himself would later say in uh, John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in God's Word this morning, The Light Still Shines. The Light Still Shines. Aren't you glad the light still shines? If you're not, I hope you are by the time we finish up here this morning. Jesus, whether a person knows it or not, is the light of the world. Amen? Whether a person knows it or not. There's a lot of truths that you don't know or I don't know, but they're still true whether we're aware of them or not. We don't have to be aware of something to be true. It's true before we're aware of it. And he is the light of the world. And every person in this world needs that light. They need the light of Jesus in their life. But even though Jesus came into the world and he brought light, and that light was brought into the world over 2,000 years ago, we know the light still shines today, still changing lives today. And it also is bringing a reaction even today. Wouldn't you agree? The light of Je- Just the name of Jesus brings a reaction. When people feel like cursing, they don't use Muhammad's name. When people feel like saying something with power, they don't use Confucius' name. 
Those names don't have the same light. They don't have the same power. They use the name of Jesus. He still brings a reaction today as he did 2,000 years ago. And I want us to look this morning at five things the light of Christ did when he entered and is still doing even to this day, these many years later. The first we'll look at this morning if you're taking notes. The light still causes questions. The light still causes questions. You ever notice how many times in the life of Jesus, later on in his ministry, how many times he asked people questions? He always knew the answer to the questions. Why was he always asking people questions? He was evoking to pull out of them they needed to think about what really mattered. He would always ask them questions. He wanted them to ponder truth. And if they were willing to open their eyes and to open their hearts, they would see truth. Isn't that true? How many times can I say true in the same sentence? The claims of the Christmas story, the claims of Jesus, they caused questions even in that day. Because not everybody was there to eyewitness it. They caused questions then. There was curiosity at his birth. And they still cause questions and curiosity today. By the way, curiosity, uh, it just kills kids this time of year, doesn't it? Curiosity. I wonder what I'm getting. Questions about the nativity. Who is round John Virgin? You know, uh, those, all those questions that come up this time of year. <laughs> questions about Santa. Where does he really live? You ever watch those many Santas? It's like there's like 10 origins of where Santa came from, and you watch the kids' versions. I was joking with my girl. I said, which one is it? Did he sail across the ocean? Is it this one? You know. It's all these different questions. Will I get the gift I asked for? Why do some adults like fruitcake? You know, that, all those questions that arise this time of year. I saw a comic strip about Dennis the Menace during the Christmas season. Now, he wasn't, Dennis was always curious. So he wasn't curious about the Christmas season any more than he was any other day. But he was just looking around the house, and uh, he burst into the room. And standing there with mouth open is his mother, and he's holding a big box in his hand, and he says to his parents, we'd better tell Santa Claus to forget the train set I asked for because I just found this big one in Dad's closet. <laughs> well, when it, comes to, when it comes to the truth of Christ and it comes to the truth of Christmas, well, God actually wants us to find those answers. He wants us to search for them. He wants us to find them. He wants us to believe in them. It's one thing to find the truth, but you still have to believe it. You have, still have to receive it. You still have to do something with it. We're told of the Bereans in Acts chapter 17 that they searched the scriptures to see if these things were so. God can stand up to anyone's skepticism. God can stand up to anyone's questions, and he'll give the answers, but still a person will have to respond to it. The curiosity, the questions will still be there, but God will answer every one of them. There were things that were foretold of Jesus. It says in uh, Hosea 11 uh, that he would be called out of Egypt, and he later he was. I, I, we only read to where Herod, uh, you know, he was feigning that he wanted to worship uh, the Christ, and then when the, the wise men go back a different way, it wasn't long after that that Herod ordered the, the killing of all the babies 
under, or male babies under the age of two. And then the angel actually uh, tells Joseph and Mary, get down to Egypt. And so Jesus lived the early part of his life in Egypt. So out of Egypt he was called, Hosea 11.1. 1. And that, of course, uh, is that repeating of biblical history because God called his original son, Israel, up out of Egypt. So Jesus follows the same path. And of course, they came up in the Passover. He would actually die in the Passover. All these things are fulfilled as the Old Testament prophets had said. In uh, Micah 5, 2, it says that he would be coming out of Bethlehem, which still would take a miracle because Joseph and Mary, at the time Jesus was born, they didn't live in Bethlehem. They lived up in Galilee. So they had to travel down. It took Quirinius under God's guidance, to actually order a census. And he doesn't just order a census. He says, oh, and by the way, if you're going to participate in the, well, everyone will participate in the census. This wasn't not optional, right? Everyone will participate in the census. Go back to the home of your ancestry. So they have to go back to Bethlehem. Because David, uh, that was uh, the city of David and Joseph and Mary were both uh, ancestors of King David. Then we see uh, in Isaiah 11, uh, that he would be a Nazarene. He was born in Bethlehem, raised in Egypt, but when they came back, when uh, the king, when Herod had died, and God said it was safe for them to come back, they didn't come back to Bethlehem, they went to where? Nazareth. So he'd be a Nazarene. And it tells us in Isaiah chapter 9, it says, unto you a son is born. A son is born. Remember, it says his name will be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But first it says a son would be born. That's very key. A son would be born. He would be born just like every other person. It wasn't, God didn't say, my son will come down out of heaven in a massive ball of fire and glory. No, it said he would be born just like every one of us in here, helpless. I was in the delivery with all three uh, the uh, births of our baby, and I closed my eyes and cut the umbilical cord and did the whole nine yards. And, uh, you know, uh, it's quite a scene in there, folks, you know, if you've not been in there before. Uh, but um, it, it doesn't feel angelic. Uh, uh, it, it feels very human. Um, all kinds of stuff going on in that place. And... Um, and so Jesus would be born just like every other baby and all the pain of childbirth and it's, not a, it's a messy thing and all that stuff and all the same way. He would come that way. He would not come down. He could have come down like Ezekiel saw the vision of God in Ezekiel chapter 1. It doesn't come like that. It said a son will be given. A son will be born. He wouldn't come down in glory, but he'd come in the skin of mankind. Not as a ruling king, but he come as a helpless baby, a helpless baby. He would put himself, I cannot fathom the God of heaven putting himself as a helpless baby. But that's the way he would come, unassuming. But authority would still be on him. Even as a baby, it's hard for us to understand, he comes as a helpless baby, but yet authority's already on him, which is why the wise men would come. He'd be born of a virgin. That still causes curiosity these days, doesn't it? You'll find a lot of people skeptical. Was he really, come on, born of a virgin? Well, that's what the Scripture tells us. Makes it clear. Isaiah 7, 14. 
People still ask, could he really be born of a virgin? Well, that's exactly what the Bible says. God doesn't mince words. He tells us exactly what it was and what would take place. Yes, he was born of a virgin. And by the way, that's not hard for God. We have to understand that that is not a hard thing for God. If he spoke the world into existence, he can actually send his son any way he chooses. And Matthew uses the same. Matthew requotes it when we just read. Matthew requoted in, in chapter 1, verse 23. He requoted from the prophet Isaiah. He said, All these things were written that it might be filled as the prophet said. And the original Hebrew word, back in Isaiah 7 14, the original Hebrew word uh, for virgin, it, the Hebrew word was Alma. Alma. It was the common translation of Alma to mean virgin. That was the common translation. There was a, every now and then, it could be translated, every now and then, rarely, but the common translation was virgin. The common vernacular was always understood virgin as opposed to young woman. Example, uh, Rebecca, before she was betrothed and married to Isaac, it says Rebecca was Alma, virgin, before she is married to Isaac. And then... Um, the Septuagint, if you've ever heard of the Greek Septuagint, the Greek Septuagint was during the intertestament period between the ending of the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, which is, comprises the whole Old Testament, the Tanakh. When that was completed, then you have the years of silence, the 400 years of silence until the coming of Christ, and the next scriptures are given through the apostles and through Christ himself. Well, in that period of time, uh, 72 scholars, six from all the 12 tribes, were gathered together to take the Hebrew Scripture and put it into Greek. So Greek-speaking people could read the Tanakh. And when they did that, when they translated the Hebrew word Alma into, for Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, when they translated Alma into Greek, they used the word Parthenos. Parthenos. Guess what Parthenos means in the Greek? Virgin. Same Greek word that Matthew then uses in Matthew 1.23. So what, what we're seeing is that all the voices of history, the prophets, the scholars, the rabbis, that had anything to do with how God preserved his word, all said the same thing. He would be born a virgin, not a young girl. Some will attempt to say it means young woman. But that's not a sign. If that's a sign, then every birth is a sign of Messiah, Right? Because there's lots of young women that have given birth. But that's not a sign. We know that the signs were miraculous. In Acts 2.22, it says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. Miracles, wonders, and signs. It had to be miraculous. That's what the prophet was saying. And you and I, we weren't there at the birth, but God's recorded it all in his word for us to know it, believe it, and tell it to others. To know it, Believe it and tell them. One of my favorite verses, uh, John 20, verse 31. It says, But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I love that. They were written for us to believe. They were written for us to receive. Luke 2, 15. It says, let us now go, uh, the shepherds, after they had, you know, they're, they're like, what do all these things mean? What is it that angels have come? 
You'll find a child in a manger? What child? What is this all about? You know, I would have been as confused as they were that night, wouldn't you? You're out there freezing in the enjoyable task of watching sheep deep in the night, wet, damp, cold, and all of a sudden an angel appears on the scene, lights up the sky, and in a few minutes, a ton of angels are there, and they're telling you to go find a child wrapped in swaddling clothes, which would actually be used both, well, very commonly used, even for wrapping at burial. You'll find them in a manger. Not a nice crib, a trough that animals eat in. That's where you'll find him. And so they don't know exactly what all this means, but they do respond with obedience and curiosity. Let us now go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. I tell you what, uh, anything God makes known to you, follow it more and he'll show you more. Amen? Anything he's made known already, follow him some more and he'll make known some more than we already have. And so they go. And like the shepherds, the wise men, they see this, they see this star. Uh, and I've, there's a lot of schools of thought on this. Was, this. was this something that was astronomical? Because we can go back now and use software and calculate, because there are, there are you know, the, this Bethlehem star video and other things. Or was it totally supernatural, completely a once in all of history thing? I kind of lean in that direction. But regardless, these wise men as well, they had questions. They didn't have all the answers. Where, they even said, where is he? Right? When they got there, like, you, they go to Herod, you should know where the new king is. Herod's like, if there's a new king, yeah, I'm going to find out. Take care of it. Get rid of it. But they had been given enough truth and enough of a sign, and then God would later confirm it all before their very eyes. God would lead them. They saw a light in the heavens, they would end up seeing the very light of the world face to face. Understand that Jesus, he won't answer every single question a person has. You don't have people that ask you questions you can't answer. God's not going to answer every question a person has. He's not even required to answer every question. But I'll tell you what he will do. He'll answer the questions people really need to know. The most important question he'll answer, what to do with my son, is the question he'll answer for everybody. And it's going to be the same. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess. Henry Law said, in Christ Jesus, heaven meets earth, and earth ascends to heaven. See, Jesus, when we believe in what he says, God brings that bit of heaven down to us. We might not have been there for the miraculous, but we'll see the miraculous in our life. Let's see, look at the next. Uh, the light, we're taking notes. The light still causes questions, but it also, the light still troubles hearts. Not everybody responds the same way. Think about how people respond to light. It really depends on the setting. You know, we moved into the building here. We had some different lights up there, and they were blinding. I could not. They were just, they were hot. We had to change them out. Uh, light, depending on how it's used, can be really nice, or it can be really, really, you know, like, too much. For some, the coming of Jesus Christ is a soft light to read by. You know? You ever heard that soft light? Just, just the perfect amount of light. For some people, that, the coming of Jesus is like that. They're able to comprehend, they're able to understand, they're able to see clearly. Or for other people, maybe a beautiful light. You know, you love to see the, the tree at Rockefeller Center all lit up. 
I don't know how many times you see Christmas lights, but every year most of us still look forward to seeing them all over again. Especially when things are really lit up, professionally done, amazing. You're like, wow, another light show. I don't know how many times we see fireworks, fourth July, but we still want to see them again. Because we're drawn to light in a setting, depending on the setting. Now, for others, they might be drawn just to kind of a relaxing light, calming light, beautiful light. But again, not everyone always wants light. For some, they might see light the way a burglar does when a motion detector light comes on. When a motion detector light comes on for a burglar, they're not really happy about the light, right? Because they're trying to hide what they're doing, so they're not drawn to that light, they're running from that light. We have a motion detector right outside the church. You know, you come back here Christmas Eve night, walk by the corner, boom, it'll come right on. As long as you're not doing nothing wrong, you won't care. But other people would, depending on what they're doing. And this is the way Jesus is a light bothers some people. And it says in John 3.19, and this is the condemnation, the light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. This was Herod. Herod did not, he didn't say, this is wonderful, what a beautiful light. I can't wait to learn at the feet of this light. No. He said, I can't wait to put this light out. That was his response. He had no interest in it whatsoever. Many people, they want to run and hide from the light. Like a burglar, they want to disconnect the light, stop the light, get out of the place quickly. You ever seen a teenager react to turn on the light at 5.30 in the morning to go to school? It's not a loving embrace of the light. It's the pillow straight over the head. Turn it off. You remember those days, don't you? Now you're, if you're older, you wake up before. It doesn't matter anyway, right? Light isn't always well received because Jesus' light exposes. It exposes where our heart's really at. It exposes where we're really at. But, you know, but even men that don't choose to follow Christ, they actually see the divinity of his light. Don't let people fool you. They might run from the light, but that doesn't mean they don't believe the light is really from God. Herod knew, he knew the extraordinary conditions. He knew that this was no normal thing for magi to come. And you always see in the you know, scenes, three camels. We have no idea if it was three. It was probably more. It was probably a much larger entourage and caravan than three. And they probably didn't bring a, just a couple of boxes of stuff. They brought, remember how uh, in, when Solomon was king, remember when, um, when the queen comes up and she brings him a hoard of gold, not a little box of gold. Because this is the way kings were honored, right? It wasn't some, you know, the, the queen of Sheba comes up. It wasn't just, hey, here, here's, a little, here's a little token. Not the way it worked. It was probably much more. And he would know that this was significant. This star in the heavens, the biblical prophecies, he asked the scribes, they all confirm. He knows this is all true. It's a, you know, a complete surrounding of evidence. His conscience knew that Jesus was different, but his conscience says, I need to stop him. Satan knew that Jesus was different, but he took him in the wilderness and said, I need to stop him. Right? Demons believe in Jesus, but doesn't mean that they want to follow him. Napoleon Bonaparte, Napoleon said, I know men, 
And I tell you that Jesus Christ is not a man. Napoleon was no follower of Christ, but he knew that Christ was the real thing, that he was divine. He's called Emmanuel, means God with us as we saw there in Matthew. He's called the God-man at times. You might hear that term. Because he came physically to the earth, physically as a man, but he also came as God. Charles Spurgeon said, remember, Christ was not a deified man. Neither was he a humanized God. He was perfectly God and at the same time perfectly man. You hear that? He's perfectly God and perfectly man at the same time. Imagine, though, if you're marrying Joseph. Imagine looking into the eyes of a baby boy that's both God and man. I can't even fathom what it would look like to look into the eyes. of Someday, I get to look into the eyes of Jesus, and so will you. The eyes that look down and said, yes, I'm willing to forgive you of sin. But also the eyes that say, I've seen eternity, future, and past. I know every hair on your head. They could look into the eyes of this baby boy that was both man, but simultaneously we were looking into the eyes of God. Imagine the wise men. They finally see his eyes. They've seen his star. We've seen his, they said, we've seen his star in the sky. We know he's a picture of the light coming into the world, but then they look into his eyes, and boy, the light you could see in his eyes would be brighter than the light you'd see in the star. I guarantee it. Martin Luther said, take hold of Jesus as a man, and you will discover he is God. Take hold of Jesus as a man, as a baby, if you can believe it, when he, if you're like the wise man, you can believe he was God when he was a baby, you'll definitely believe when he's, he's God when he's sitting on the throne in Jerusalem in the future. For those that reject him, he's troubling. For those that receive him, though, oh, it's, it's a glorious thing. The light still, it still troubles hearts, but if you're taking notes, next point, the light still prompts rejoicing. It still prompts rejoicing. I hope you were able to re, uh, rejoice and worship this morning. I love singing the Christmas carols. That uh, Many of them are so theologically sound, but, but they really do kind of bring us into the presence of just worshiping the Lord, which is what we're going to do a lot of in heaven. If you don't like to sing, you may not like heaven, because there's going to be a whole lot of worshiping Jesus. But Jesus responds, uh, he, he prompts worship. It says that the wise men did what? They fell down. They fell down at a baby's feet. They fell down at a manger. Prompts rejoicing for those of us that recognize him as the light of the world, that recognize him as our king. 1 Peter 1.8 says, Whom have not seen, you love. I've never seen Jesus physically, have you? Some of the televangelists have, but I haven't. I'm sorry to pick on some of the televangelists. They, they have some real stories sometimes, you know. Uh, don't believe everything you hear on TV, even on the Christian channel sometimes. Uh, but nevertheless, I digressed for just a second there. I apologize. <laughs> having, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. What is Peter saying? Now, Peter did see Jesus face to face. Peter actually saw him, touched him, handled him. He actually said, I, I, I bear, bore witness to his glory. We haven't seen him face to face. But if you're born again, 
you certainly love him as if you've seen him already. As if you were there in Bethlehem. We can actually spiritually almost take ourselves back there because the Holy Spirit in us was there. Does that make sense? God actually gives us some level of understanding that we can't describe to people who have yet to give their lives to Jesus because they're on one side of the two-way mirror and we're on the other and saying, I know I can't fully explain this. You have to believe in him first. Then you kind of get it. You'll have an expressible joy. Romans 5.11, it says, We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, though whom we have now received the reconciliation. We've received redemption of our sins, and those give us reasons to rejoice. The wise men, they needed Jesus. The shepherds, they needed Jesus. But to know that they were in the presence of the one who could save them from their sins, that's that's reason for rejoicing. How sad that many missed the opportunity to rejoice in the birth of Jesus, to rejoice in the life of Jesus, to rejoice in the death of Jesus, and ultimately to rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus. And when you miss the chance to worship him, you miss the chance to adore him, we're just singing, oh, come let us what? Adore him. When you miss that opportunity to adore him and rejoice in his grace, well, not only do you miss out on peace that God wants to give today, but you miss out on the opportunity to spend eternity with the Lord. And that's what it really, that's why Jesus came. The, the, the mission was so important that God could only send himself. That's reason to rejoice, amen? He didn't send the Navy SEALs. They fail sometimes. You realize that, right? I know everybody looks up to uh, the incredible, you know, Special Force, Delta Force. This, uh, those guys sometimes fail and die. Not that they don't mean well, not that they're not trying, but they can't complete every mission. Jesus can, and that's reason for rejoicing, amen? And he completes his mission by actually dying. Thomas Brooks says, miss Christ and you miss all. Miss Christ and you miss all. But if you gain Christ, you gain all. And you actually have a reason to rejoice. And for the shepherds, they didn't have much money. The wise men, they were getting rid of their money. Why? Because they realized that what they would gain in Christ was far more reason to rejoice than anything they could gain in this world. Even if you know Christ, let me ask you, Christian, are you missing the opportunity to worship and rejoice? I mean, really, no one else knows what's going on in your head right now or in your heart right now, but God knows. Are you really, have you really rejoiced lately? Kind of in a really bad mood. Not much fun to be around. Forgot why you have a reason to rejoice. Missing that opportunity. Uh, Good news is it's not too late to get it right. Isn't that good to know? If you're alive today, you can start rejoicing today. You can start worshiping and adoring again today. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. God's God's the God of new beginnings and new days. And you can present or represent to him, not gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but yourself. Romans chapter 12, he said he wants us to be living sacrifices. He's not necessary, not that he won't ask you to go help a family like I mentioned, not that he won't ask you to pray for people, not that he won't ask you to spend your time and go visit a hospital or do something like that, but none of those things are the merits of our salvation, they're the outworking of our salvation. And it's because we rejoice that we do those things, and we want to do those things. But first, God said, represent yourself as a gift to the Lord. 
get at his feet like the wise men, and then we find peace, and then that rejoicing comes back. It's like uh, the light switch is plugged back in. You know how the Christmas tree light comes out sometimes? You go back up. Stretch your body all the way around there to get that thing in. You know, you got to plug it back in. The Lord wants us to represent ourselves and worship in His presence. You know, last year, uh, or it was two years ago, first first time we were, we our family we like to go down to Williamsburg. Actually, we're going down to Williamsburg tomorrow night. Any families want to go? Come see me after service. I'll tell you where to be. We've got several families that'll be down there. But uh, we like to go down there. Ever since we were down there a few years ago. And uh, we were walking in Colonial Williamsburg in the, at night. It was a clear, crisp night. Every star, it was about 35 degrees. Uh, it was, they had the torches out and everything. And we didn't know that they had the Christmas caroling that night. Uh, we stumbled upon it down by the tavern, if you go down Duke of Gloucester Street down there at the end. And there they were, um, all gathered in those colonial outfits from 17, you know, 76 and all. And they were dressed up. Uh, and there they are in a choir beautiful voices all singing the Christmas carols we love, like Joy to the World, O Come, Let's Adore Him. And most people that were there, like us, didn't know it was happening that night. You could tell by the way they reacted. Oh, this is a nice surprise. So they would just kind of come over there, holding their coffee, shivering. And I could tell that some of the people there, I knew they were not believers. I could tell by their body language that they were touched by the songs, but they couldn't rejoice in the songs. And I could tell that their body, they were like, wow. You could tell that even the Holy Spirit was using, I don't know, even if the choir was saved or anything. But the people, I could tell watching, I'm watching the faces. Pastors do this kind of stuff. Even with you. No, I'm kidding. Uh, anyway, so we, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm just watching. And, I'm, and we're, our family starts singing along, and we're enjoying it. And, and I could tell that some of the people, their body language, they almost, if they had no notion of God, weren't thinking of all of a sudden, they were impressed by the presence of these truths that were being sung. And some, you could see big smiles on them. Those are Christians, perhaps. And others, was like, they were touched, but they just couldn't rejoice with it. And see, God wants to change that. He wants that every person, someday, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, he'll gather them together, and they'll sing with one voice. Glory to the Lamb. Last two points as we come to a close. Yes, the light still prompts rejoicing. The light still defeats darkness. Isn't that great to know? This, uh, this past Sunday night, uh, as a team, we were in the, um, in the correctional, youth correctional facility. And uh, as most of the guys can attest to, when we're competing against the NFL, the nights they have the TV and the NFL game on, we don't get quite the same audience sometimes. So I usually will get like anywhere from seven to ten guys. That night I only got two because the Dallas Cowboys were on and everyone wanted to watch that game. But I got two guys came over and I was talking to them. And so I kind of changed course. We were just talking about uh, different things in their life. And, and I asked one, I said, tell them about your families. And, you know, have you seen anyone for Christmas? No, I hadn't seen anybody for Christmas. Won't see anybody for Christmas. So tell me about your, tell me about your parents. Well, they're both, both, both guys' families were divorced. That's 85% of the kids that are in there. So tell me about your, what's your mom do for a living? He says, she does drugs. She's had seven kids with, uh, yeah, eight kids with seven different women, seven different men. And, uh, and then the other one was like, well, yeah, I don't, I don't see any of my parents. I hate my stepmother. Wanted to kill her. 
All these things that they're telling me, and I see just the darkness that Satan has just wrought in their lives and their parents' lives and their cousins' lives and their families' lives, and God wants to break through that kind of darkness. Amen? And it's just it's heartbreaking. You realize that Jesus came to set a light off in those kind of places, to change everything, and I'm here to tell you, he can do it. He was doing it then. He's doing it today in Colossians 1.13. says he's delivered us from the power of darkness. This is what we're telling these kids. You don't have to live this way anymore. You can be the just Just like some, you ever heard these stories? I am the first person to ever graduate college in my family. You ever hear these stories? We hear them all the time. I hear them every year. But here's a better story. I am the first person in my family to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and a light has changed in our home. That's a better story. That's the story that Jesus wants to bring to the prisons of America, to the prisons around the world, to the youth correctional facilities, to families that have been six generations straight of divorce. God wants to change those situations. People that have been addicted to drugs forever. Well, my dad was addicted to drugs, and his dad was addicted to drugs. And all these different addictions and problems, Jesus came to set people free from those things. Some people say, we don't have those problems. We're just addicted to covetous and money. Well, he came to deliver people from that too, right? You know, the kids that are hanging out at Harvard and Yale that, you know, maybe trust fund kids, they need God just as much as kids that are in prison. doesn't matter. They're still in darkness. 1 Peter 2, 9, him who called you out of darkness into, listen to what Peter says, his marvelous light. People don't know they're in darkness until the light comes on. They don't know how dark the darkness is until someone lights a match. I've said this before in Vietnam during the war. It says that you know, the soldiers are in Vietnam in the jungle. They could see a cigarette sometime a couple of miles away, lit, a little tiny light like that. Well, Jesus is a lot brighter than that. He brings a lot more light. He still defeats the darkness. You know, a couple of weeks, uh, I don't know how many weeks that with the uh, Paris attacks took place, uh, but one of our sister churches, Calvary Chapel of Paris, there's only, I want to say, three or four Calvary chapels in all of France. You know, to put that in perspective, we have, uh, I think, 30-plus now in Russia. We have many in Africa. Um, I think Liberia alone, we have like 26. Don't quote me on the number, but I mean, we have a lot more. France, we only have, I think, like three or four Calvary chapels. But we have one in Paris. And uh, Pastor Mike Dente there is the pastor of Calvary Chapel Paris. Now, they had been doing outreach all summer, trying to get uh, young people in Paris to come and hear the truth and hear about the light of Christ. And, you know, they have a church a little bit smaller than ours, but, uh, but the Sunday after the Paris attacks, they were standing room only. Calvary Chapel, standing room only. Young people that worked in cafes that were around there, they wanted to know what does the light of Christ have to say about all this? Folks, they didn't run to mosques. They didn't run to Hindu temples. They didn't run to the local atheist club meeting. There's no answers there. That's where the problems are coming from. They're not the answers. They ran to what? Jesus. And they might as well ran to the Bethlehem stable because they just ran where they thought they would hear about Jesus. And folks, God went... He might do something in our own nation. And when it happens that God allows things to open people's eyes, they will want to know where the light is. They want to know where the truth is. 
because the light still defeats darkness. God can really, it's the, the angel said, peace on earth, goodwill toward, he's the only one that can bring peace. The other religions of the world aren't going to bring peace. Only Jesus brings peace. By the way, religion doesn't bring peace. The relationship with Jesus Christ brings peace. You know, people, hey, you're religious? No, I have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's defeated the darkness in my life. He can defeat the darkness in your life. And in Paris and San Bernardino and anywhere else in the world. Last thing as we close here. Yes, the light still defeats darkness. And here's some good news as well. The light still shines and it's soon going to shine even brighter. Are you sure it's going to shine even brighter? Absolutely positive. How? Because I know what's written in this book. Do you? The light shines bright today, but it's going to shine even brighter. In John 1, 5, it said, and the light shines in darkness. That's a perpetual, eternal fact. Jesus shined when he came, but it shines. Current state, not shined past state, shines in the darkness present and continuous state. But I want, to turn to, I want you to turn to a passage as we come to a close that maybe you haven't read in a long time or maybe you haven't read ever. In either case, you'll be blessed. Isaiah chapter 60. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter... If you're in the New Testament, just go left. Just keep going. Isaiah's a big book, so you're, you're bound to find it. Isaiah chapter 11. Just before Jeremiah, if that helped you at all. Isaiah chapter 60. I didn't mean to say 11. I meant to say 60. I looked down and saw an 11, because on my Bible, I will show you right here, it says chapter 59, verse 11. So sometimes optical illusions happen to pastors too. Anyway, Isaiah chapter 60, as we come to a close here. I want to show you right out of the Bible that the light that shines now is going to shine even brighter in the future. Because Jesus, when he came, he did shine a bright light. But it's almost as if some of the light was veiled. Because his full glory, we still have not yet seen. We will see someday. But that light, God wants to shine in us. Look at verse uh, uh, 1, starting Isaiah chapter 60. Not Isaiah 11 which is also a great chapter in Isaiah, but not the one we're looking at. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. This is when Jesus dawns the second time on the earth, his second coming. When he comes a second time, when he dawns upon the earth in full glory, for behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, which is still taking place now, and deep darkness the people. Think of all the hearts that are still in darkness right now. But the Lord will rise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. This is now speaks to, uh, about the, the nation, the land of Israel right here. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. This is something that's coming. This is a brighter light than we're seeing right now. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Your daughters shall be nursed at your side. And you shall see and become radiant. And your heart shall swell with joy. Think about all the hearts that are swelling with agony and stress. Hearts will swell with joy, uh, swell with joy, but the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. Ultimately, this means coming to Jesus himself. 
Just look at verse, uh, the rest of this, and um, you'll see a, a, a kind of repeating here. The wealth of Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall come over the land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah and those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense. They shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. Hmm. These camels that are coming will bring gold and incense. Gold and frankincense, but something's missing. There's no myrrh. Why? At the second coming of Jesus, when his light shines so bright that it, that it just dispels the darkness and the whole world will see his glory and his light, the second time he comes, the gold will come, the frankincense will come because the gold signifies he's king of kings. The frankincense, he's the high priest. But the myrrh was for suffering and death. And he's already done that. He's not doing it again. Amen? When the light comes the second time, the myrrh is not coming with it. The gold and the frankincense are coming. The myrrh was for the first visit. The myrrh was for the anointing of his death. But the death has already been accomplished, the resurrection. So the light will shine in brightness and glory. And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, joy will swell in our hearts because we'll never have to, not only has he taken away the suffering, we would never have to suffer again anymore either. Amen? And this is the light. You know, we may not already be having the glimpse of heaven that we'll someday see, but God does want the light of these truths to flow from our lives now, today, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because God is already in the future. He's already been in the past. All these things, he wants the light of Christ to flow from us. And let me ask you, are you walking in the light? Is the light still shining in you? I know it still shines in Jesus, but is it still shining in you? Did it shine brighter in you way back in April of 2015 than it is in December of 2015? Was it brighter in past weeks, days, months, years? And Jesus wants to relight that light. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we bow before you now. We do look forward to the day of your glorious light. And yet we love to look back at when you dawned upon the earth and your birth and your coming into this world. In the same way the angels proclaimed your birth, Lord, in the future, the angels will be surrounding you in your glory. Glory, Lord, that far exceeded anything you ever showed in your 33 years in ministry on earth. And Lord, it's simply because of your coming and your dying, your raising from the dead, Lord, that that your light still shines today. For if you did not complete the rescue mission of coming, Lord, there would be no light for us to look to. But we thank you, Lord, that you finished the work. As you said on the cross, it is finished. And that light still shines. And it shines even brighter now. Lord, we know that in this room, many of us have been radically changed by the light of Christ. Jesus, it's your heart And we pray our heart. If anyone here doesn't know you, has never been called out of darkness into your light, that they would do so even here today. And Lord, those of us that know you, that maybe the light has become a little dim, we've let the things of this world or the busyness of life or our jobs or our careers or our families or even things that are difficult, Lord, just to to snuff the light out, we ask for your forgiveness and that you'd reignite that light. You'd plug us back into the power of your Holy Spirit.
Because there's a lot of people, Lord, that need to know why you came. And we don't want to be a hindrance to that, Lord. We want to be a conduit to you. Like the shepherds, Lord, we want to go make known to everything, to everyone, the marvelous things we've seen and received from you. Hey, as we come to a close, if you're here today and you say, hey, I I know this stuff is true, but I've never, and I believe that everything Jesus said is for me. I believe he wants to give me peace. I believe he wants to forgive me of sins. I believe he wants to be my Lord and Savior. I believe he came just for me, not just for me, but everyone else and me individually. I want to invite you to give your heart and life to him this morning. Five days before Christmas, give your life to Jesus. If you say, hey, I've never done that. I want to do that. Just get out of your seat and come and stand right here. We'll pray with you. No one's going to force you. I'm just here to rejoice with you. I don't want to take for granted that everyone here already has the light of Christ in them. Jesus would later say to his disciples, you now are the light of the world. Why? Not because there was any light in them, because Jesus puts the light in us. And we just want to give that opportunity. Even if nobody comes, I'll say this. If you're still not positive, you've given your life to the Lord. Don't leave this place without talking to myself. or I'll have Russ and Randy, our elders, be standing down here. We'd love to pray with you. It's the Lord's desire that none would be lost. He said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's, all the, that's what I told the guys uh, on Sunday night in the, in the prison. I said, you know, Jesus sends us here. We ain't got much to offer you guys, but we bring the light of Christ. We can't get you out of there. We can't get your sentence reduced. We can't fix your problems, but we know who can do all those things. Amen? And that's the message of Christmas this season to all of us. He's come to bring us out of darkness. The light would shine in our lives and others.